Chapter Nine, The Drums of Jeopardy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Drums of Jeopardy by Harold McGrath. Chapter Nine. At the prison station, the squat man gave a name and an address to the board sergeant at the desk, passed out a cigar, lit one himself, expressed some innocuous op opinions upon one or two topics of the day, and walked leisurely out of the precinct. He wanted to laugh. These pigheads had never thought to question his presence in the backyard of the house in 79th Street. It was the way he had carried himself. Those years in New York, prior to the war, had not been wasted. The brass-buttoned fools. Serenely unconscious that he was at liberty by explicit orders, because the Department of Justice did not care to trap a werewolf before ascertaining where the pack was and what the kill, he proceeded leisurely to the corner, turned and broke into a run, which carried him to a drug store in 80th Street. Here he was joined by two men, apparently coal-heavers by the look of their hands and faces. "'They will take him to a hospital. Find where they notify me. Remember, this is your business, and woe to you if you fail. Where is it?' One of the men extended an object wrapped in ordinary grocer's paper. "'Ha! That's good.' I shall enjoy myself presently. Remember, telephone me the moment you learn where they take him. He is still alive, Bonglas, and you came away empty-handed. There was nothing on him. We searched. Yes, he didn't them in one of those rooms. I'll attend to that later. Watch the hospital for an hour or so, then telephone for information regarding his condition. Is that motor for me? Very good. Remember. Inside the taxicab, the squat man patted the object on his knees and chuckled from time to time audibly. It would be worth all that journey, all he had gone through since dawn that morning. Stephanie Gregor, after these seven long years, the man who had betrayed him, to reach into his breast and squeeze his heart as one might squeeze a bit of cheese. Many things to tell, many pictures to paint. He rode far downtown, wound in and out of the warehouse district for a while, then dismissed the taxi and proceeded on foot to his destination, a decayed brick mansion of the forties, sandwiched in between two deserted warehouses. In the hall of the first landing a man sat in a chair under the gas, reading a newspaper. At the approach of the squat man he sprang to his feet, but a phrase dissipated his apprehension and he nodded toward a door. Unlock it for me and see that I am not disturbed. Presently the squat man stood inside the room, which was dark. He struck a match and peered about for the candle. The light discovered a room barren of all furniture, excepting the table upon which stood the candle, and a single chair. In this chair was a man, bound. He was small and dapper, his gray hair swept back a la litzt. His chin was on his breast, his body limp. Apparently the bonds alone held him in the chair. The squat man laid his bundle on the table and approached the prisoner. Stephanie Gregor, look up. It is I. He drummed on his chest like a challenging gorilla. I, Boris Kalov. 
Slowly, the eyes of the prisoner went up, revealing mild blue eyes. But almost instantly the mildness was replaced by an agate hardness, and the body became upright. Yes, it is Boris whom you betrayed, but I escaped by a hair, Stephanie, and we meet again. What good to tell this poor madman that Stephanie Gregor had not betrayed him, that had, he had only warned those marked for death. There was no longer reason inside that skull. To die, probably, in a few moments. So be it, had he not been ready for seven years. But that poor boy, to have come all these thousands of miles only to walk into a trap. Had he found that note, had they killed him? Doubtless they had, or Boris Karloff would not be in this room. We killed him tonight, Stephanie, in your rooms. We threw out the food so he would have to seek something to eat. The last of that bread, stem and branch. We are no longer the mud. We ourselves are the heels. We are conquering the world. Today Europe is ours. Tomorrow America. A wintry little smile stirred the lips of the man in the chair. America with its keen perceptions of the ridiculous, its withering humor. No more the dissolute opera dancers will dance to your fiddling, Stephanie, while we starve in the town. Fiddler, valet, tuto, the rivers and seas of Russia are red. We roll east and west, and our emblem is red, stem and branch. We ground our heels in their faces as for centuries they ground theirs in ours. He escaped us there, but I was nemesis. He died tonight. The body in the chair relaxed a little. He was clean and honest, Boris. I made him so. He would have done fine things if you had let him live. That breed. Why, you yourself loved him when he was a boy. Stem and branch. I loved my little sister Anna, too. But what did they do to her behind those marble walls? Did you fiddle for her? What was she when they let her go? My pretty little Anna, the fires of hell for those damn green stones of yours, Stephanie. She heard of them and wanted to see them, and you promised. I? I never promised, Anna. So that was it. Boris, I only saw her there. I never knew what brought her. But the boy was in England then. The breed, the breed, roared the squat man. Ha, but you should have seen. Those gay officers and their damn master. We left them with their faces in the mud, Stephanie, in the mud. And the women begged. Fine music, those proud hearts, begging Boris Kalo for their lives, their faces in the mud. You, born of us in those astrakhan heels, you denied us because you liked your fiddle, and a full belly, and to play keeper of those emeralds the winding path of torture and misery and death by which they came into the possession of that house. And always the proletariat has had to pay in blood and daughters, you of the people, to betray us. I did not betray you. I only tried to save those who had been kind to me. A cunning light shot into Carlo's eyes. The emeralds! He struck his pocket. Here! Stephanie, and they shall be broken up to buy bread for our people. That poor boy, so he brought them. What are you going to do with me? Watch you grow thin, Stephanie. You want death, you shall want food instead. Oh, a little, enough to keep you alive. You must learn what it is to be hungry. 
The squat man picked up the bundle from the table and tore off the wrapping paper. A violin, the color of old burgundy, lay revealed. Boris! The man in the chair writhed. Have I waked you, Stephanie? Tenderly. The Stradivarius, the very grand duke of fiddles, and he and his damned officers, how they used to call out, Get Stephanie to fiddle for us. And you fiddled, dragged your genius through the mud to keep your belly warm. To save a soul, Boris's, the boys, when I fiddled, his uncle forgot to drag him into an orgy. Ah, yes, I fiddled, fiddled because I had promised his mother. The Italian singer, she was lucky to die when she did. She did not see the torch, the bayonet in the mud, but the boy did with his English accent. How he escaped, I don't know, but he died tonight, and the emeralds are in my pocket. See! Carlo held the instrument close to the other's face. Look at it well, this grand duke of fiddles. Look, fiddler, look. The huge hands pressed suddenly. There was a brittle crackling, and a rare violin became kindling. A sob broke from the prisoner's lips. What to Karlov was a fiddle to him was a soul. He saw the madman fling the wreckage to the floor and grind his heels into the fragments. Gregor shut his eyes, but he could not shut his ears, and he sensed in that cold, demoniacal fury of the crunching heel the rising of maddened peoples. End of chapter 9